Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Feckin' Metal. I am your host, Fergal Trainer. This is also the first official episode in my Black Sabbath arc, Arc Sabbath, after my first two introductory episodes, the first of which was called Arc Sabbath Episode 0.5, released on the 15th of March, and Arc Sabbath Episode 0.75 released on the 24th of March. If you haven't listened to those two episodes, I suggest you go back and listen to them. They're available in this feed, the Feckin' Check-In Podcast Network, that is, for new listeners. And if you have listened to them, I apologise about the massive delay in between episodes. You might say this is later than Duke Nukem Forever. So, why have I taken so long with this? Well, I started talking about this back in February of 2021, and it's still 2021, thank God. (laughs) But I, uh, I started talking about this and planning it back then and speaking about it on Twitter. And that's at Feckin' Metal Cast, if you'd like to follow me. And I started lining up interviews with various different people. You will have heard those people on episodes one and two. That's Alejandra, Philip, Rye, Joe, uh, Uncle Steve and Melissa, who participated in interviews for my Black Sabbath arc. And... I included clips of those interviews on my first two episodes to introduce the speakers or the participants to the audience. Then I took a four-week break from podcasting. It wasn't something that was planned. It was something that just happened. I found that working on this was extremely difficult. I couldn't concentrate and I couldn't focus. And I found that I was finding it too hard to actually put together episodes. Uh, I had nine and a half hours of audio recorded from these six interviews. Really good stuff. Excellent quality stuff. But I didn't really have an adequate system in place to categorize all the clips into digestible little nuggets for me to edit into episodes. And I basically bit off more than I could chew. I think I may have said that before, maybe. But um, I, uh, it, was, it was too difficult and it was overwhelming. And I burnt out, basically. And I had to just take a break from doing podcasts. And uh, people asked me how I was. And I appreciate their concern. And people were wondering what was going on and I appreciate their continued level of interest in a podcast which has essentially been defunct now for a month. Um, But I didn't completely stop working on it, I was working on it slowly but I had to just take a step back and take a break from what I was doing because it was too difficult for me to get any enjoyment out of it and the only reason I started doing this was because I wanted to enjoy it and I was enjoying it. Uh, Then I stopped enjoying it but now I'm in a better place and I'm back and I Intend to enjoy releasing the next several episodes of my Black Sabbath arc and it's been a pleasure to just even record this intro. So it's great to be back and uh, I've missed doing this quite a lot. So thanks to anybody who got in touch with me, mainly on Twitter at Feckin' Metal Cast. As I said, uh, I have been not really as active on Twitter recently. Um, you know, my t-shirts of the day, like uh, whatever, every t-shirt I have series, I kind of stopped doing that. I did a, one or two, but I felt like Posting up stuff like that or doing competitions for feckin' metal points or anything like that. I felt all of that was really just spam when I wasn't actually producing any episodes. So um, I'll return to all that nonsense in the the near future. But I couldn't just sit there and be a a Twitter personality (laughs) uh, without actually having anything to back that up or have any content. So um, I'm going to start all that rubbish again soon so you can look forward to all of that. On that topic, uh, my feckin' metal t-shirts and mugs are in various locations around the world. Uh, T-shirts have been spotted in the United States. Uh, They've been spotted in airports heading over to Canada, and they have been spotted in Italy, and uh, they're on their way to the United Kingdom as well. Um, And mugs have been spotted all around the globe as well. Uh, So, you know, there will be information forthcoming about how you can obtain a T-shirt 
or a mug if you wish. Uh, I'm going to put up an official method of selling those to people. Um, the information on that's forthcoming soon. And I'll also be doing another competition of some sort. So keep your eyes peeled for that uh, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, but let's get on with this. You didn't come here to listen to my woes or listen to me talk about nonsense. You came here to listen to the uh, delayed Black Sabbath arc. Uh, which I've been talking about for two months or more. Uh, so here's a heartwarming story for you, which is related to Black Sabbath and related to me posting up heavy metal t-shirts and all sorts of different things. And it's very serendipitous the way it happened. Um, but on a previous episode, I talked about how my friend Kevin and I went up to Belfast in Northern Ireland to go to see Black Sabbath in 2013. It was the first time either of us had seen the band live. And uh, I think it was on my... Um, Sabaton Open Air episode, which is episode 15 of Feckin' Metal, if you want to go back and have a listen. And we talked about how we got the train up to Belfast from Dublin, and one of the carriages, anyway, the carriage that we were in, was entirely populated by people who were going to see Black Sabbath, so people in Black Sabbath hoodies and heavy metal t-shirts, and everybody was drinking beer, and it was really good buzz on the train. And uh, so we sat in a booth of four seats where you know where they're facing each other with a table in between and we ended up sitting across from these two lads from cork in ireland and uh, naturally we started talking to them having a beer with them and whatever and it wasn't long before the ipods got taken out with the travel speakers and uh, we were playing a load of music and they started playing sabaton songs for us and uh, that's how that was my first ever introduction to sabaton now that was relevant to the sabaton episode it's not as relevant here but what happened next is relevant so um we sat there we drank beer with them listened to music on a two hour and a half two hour 20 minute train journey and it was fantastic and we went our separate ways to our hostels or whatever but then after the show we bumped into each other again and we went to a late bar in belfast and then on the way back um as fate would have it it wasn't planned we ended up sitting across from them again on the way back to um dublin so we had a few cans as well on the way back you know for keep the party going whatever and it was a great gig as well it was a really good uh, show um excellent uh, i think ozzy sang really well actually and i wasn't really expecting much from him a lot better than he did uh, four or three years later when i saw black sabbath and download um but anyway great memories from that time and we always had great memories of that train journey and I found it was strange that I didn't bump into those two lads ever again because they were living in Dublin. They were mad into heavy metal. We shared a lot of the same uh, tastes in heavy metal. We loved Iron Maiden. We loved Black Sabbath. They liked Sabaton and stuff, but we liked a bit of power metal as well. And there was just a lot of crossover. They loved Dio, whatever. Obviously, you couldn't be going to a Dio gig in in 2013, but you know what I mean? Uh, There was a lot of crossover there, so you would think you would bump into these people at gigs. And I remembered what they looked like, at least for a few years I did anyway, until the memory kind of faded. I had a picture of one of the guys on my phone that I took in um, whatever the late venue was. But then I kind of forgot what the other guy looked like. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I started interacting with this guy on Twitter. And it was a guy by the name of Graham Linan, or at Linan666. I don't think he'll mind me sharing that information because he's on Twitter, so (laughs) he's not exactly, you know, being very private. And... um, we exchanged a couple of comments back and forth, not direct messages, mind you, but just comments on feeds or posts or whatever. And uh, he eventually said to me, would you mind sending me a DM, mate? I can't seem to message you. And I think I had my DM switched off unless you were a mutual follower. So unless I'm following you and you're following me, I must have had them switched off. Although I didn't always because um, I got random DMs from people asking me to review their albums and stuff. Um, so I don't know. I must have switched them off at some point. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I, I 
I DM'd him. I just said, hello, Graham. <laughs> and uh, we got talking. And he told me that he had listened to the first episode of my podcast again with my friend Kevin and that he shared a very similar story. He, him and his friend got into metal at a young age and they, um, they decided, like, there's only a few of them who were into it and they got interested in bands and started going to a lot of gigs and they lived in Dublin for several years, but they're from Cork and now they live in Cork. And at that moment, something just... A light bulb went off in my head and I just went back to him and I said, you weren't the two lads who were sitting across from us on a train to Belfast from Dublin in December 2013 on the way to Black Sabbath, were you? And <laughs> he got onto his mate and he said, yeah, yeah, my mate thinks it was us. He thinks we were the guys. And remember I said I had a photo of his friend because the guy in this lad's profile picture wasn't the guy I had a photo of, that's for definite. So I sent him the photo I had, the only photo I had, and I said, is this your mate? And he said, yes, yes it was. And it turns out that they're the two lads that were sitting opposite us on the train to Black Sabbath in 2013. And by the magic of podcasting and Twitter, we have been brought together again. And I just think that's a fucking brilliant story. And it really cheered me up and made me feel like uh, like this has been worthwhile. Not that these were long lost friends of ours or anything like that, but we had a great time with these lads and we were chatting to them and I'd love to see them again and go to a gig with them again or whatever, you know, just keep in contact. And um, him and his friend and a couple of other friends of his had to listen to that Sabaton Open Air episode where we talk about them a good bit. at episode 15 of Fecka Metal. And they said they had a great laugh listening to it and he was shocked at some of the memories that I had, like that they were talking about Manowar and, and things like that. But um, it was just a really, really interesting and coincidental thing that happened. And it was just a, like a random comment from somebody on a few tweets and then... It was actually, I said, and how did you discover, I was talking to Kevin about this and he thought it was really funny as well. And he was like, ask him how you discovered the podcast. I was like, yeah, good question. So I went back to Graham and I said, how did you discover Feckin' Metal? And he said, a person I'm following commented or liked one of your tweets where you were doing your t-shirt of the day. Uh, and then I ended up following you because you had Feckin' in the title of your podcast. So I obviously had to follow you. So there you go. That t-shirt of the day spam wasn't actually a waste of time because it, uh, reunited me and my friend with two lads who we had a good crack with back in uh seven and a half years ago in december 2013 going to a black sabbath show so there you go serendipity or maybe not i don't know but uh it's to do with black sabbaths and i'm, I'm this there's no better place for it than on the start of this episode but of course this episode is also about listening to my guests who i mentioned the six guests uh, not necessarily guests, but interviewees, I suppose. And you're going to be hearing a lot from them in this episode. We're going to start with Early Black Sabbath. Um, we don't necessarily go through it all chronologically. It's not really about that. It's not like starting on the first album and going through to the second and the third. And some eras, to be honest, are spoken about more than other eras. And one of the eras that isn't spoken about as much is the is the first few albums of Black Sabbath. So it's the likes of the first album, Paranoid Master of Reality and... And volume four and stuff and, and later eras are spoken about a bit more and people are more opinionated on different things and i probably drove the conversation towards things that i'm more interested in i find that with magazines and the media and um, documentaries and even set lists that the black sabbath story tends to be told by the debut album paranoid master of reality and maybe volume four and a lot of the rest of it doesn't really get spoken about much or doesn't get referenced a lot or doesn't get played a lot any in in the recent last 10-15 years anyway put it that way um so i think the conversation maybe focuses more on other eras but uh, i'm still going to put it together more or less chronologically but um i'd also like to just talk about being a heavy metal fan in general so um we uh, as heavy metal fans we kind of are ostracized from a very young age 
Unless we have a big massive group of people who also like heavy metal, but from a lot of people I've spoken to, they don't have that. They have one or two friends, or one friend sometimes, or in some cases no friends at all who like heavy metal. And they still pursue this interest because it's something they become passionate about. They listen to an album, and a lot of the times that is Black Sabbath, and they listen to a song and they go, that's the music that I've been looking for. And in many many cases it's Iron Maiden as well, or whatever, but it's usually one of the bigger bands. And they go, that's what I was looking for. It might be Ozzy singing Paranoid. It might be Ronnie James Dio singing Neon Nights. It might be Ian Gillen singing Keep It Warm. Who knows? Uh, rat. But it uh, it's usually one of the big hitters like that. It might be Metallica. And uh, as heavy metal fans, then, you know, we tend to dress in black. And like Blaze said on my on my interview I did with him. And we wear black t-shirts. And we, we are maybe, in some cases, a little different and a little darker. And we, we walk our own path through life. And... The choice to go out and wear a black T-shirt with a heavy metal band name on it is a—it's a statement. It's a fashion statement, but it's also a statement of, I belong to this group and this is who I am, and I'm telling you this, and I'm risking being ostracized because of it, and that's the life we live and that's the path we walk. And um, it was great to talk to so many different people from different backgrounds about the path that they walked and the path that ultimately led them to Black Sabbath. Um, but before we get on to just going through the albums and talking about the members of Black Sabbath, I'd like to talk a little bit about just being a fan of heavy metal. So here's what Melissa had to say about that. And that's Melissa from Metal Chat with Melissa. Uh, she's a podcaster herself. Melissa tells me a story about how she introduced her two younger sisters to Black Sabbath. This was their introduction to the debut album album uh, released in 1970 when I was probably about 12 I used to um I lived in New Hampshire and I used to babysit my sisters when my mom would go out and I have um two sisters that are younger than me and uh, one is four years younger than me and one is seven years younger than me or six and a half years younger than me and um so I was taking care of them and (laughs) we had this um this back room that that my mom had turned into like a the den you know the tv room and it had um, it had a door, an actual door on it. Um, I think it was it probably at one point was probably a study or a bedroom or something like that. And um, and it had windows. And I made my sisters go into this room, and I shut the door, and I pulled down all the shades, and I made them listen to this entire album in the dark. And they were horrified. They were. And the interesting thing is that my sisters are not metalheads. And this is probably why I probably scared the bejesus out of them. They were like, and I, I had the album and I remember flipping the album over and my littlest sister, who's now 48 years old, tried to escape and I grabbed her. <laughs> yeah, I, sorry guys, you know, but uh, yeah, I was not the best babysitter, but I used to make them listen to all that stuff, you know, but I was, but they weren't feeling it. They were, they were just scared of it. They were just, which only made me love the album more. <laughs> I discussed the influence of Melissa's brother-in-law with her and how he influenced her taste in music, ultimately turning her into a heavy metal fan. Absolutely. He was my primary influence um, for rock music in general. I mean, he was also a very big, he still is, a very big prog fan. And so he's the one who turned me on to early Genesis and, and yes, and, and ELP and, 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 and Pink Floyd and, and all of that kind of an early queen and all of that. So when, and, and um, Zeppelin, so he turned me on to all that stuff. My mom wasn't overly excited about my, um, 
my love of this kind of music. My mom was big, big, big into disco, um, really big into disco, really big into disco. And so I didn't, and you know, my sisters, they liked the disco with my mom and all that. And so I didn't really sort of fit in. And my sister also liked disco. So basically John and I were like the old, the oddballs, if you will, in the, you know, in the family. And I just, I really, um, everything, like he was a huge influence on me. He was also, I was a big fan. I'm still a big fan of Dr. Who. And he also liked Dr. Who. And, um, you know, my mother would always be like, you're such a strange kid, you know? Um, but anyway, so Sabbath was coming and uh, Van Halen was opening and he asked my mother, my mother said, no, she's too young for that. I don't want her to go. And later on, my mom had said, I didn't want you to go because, you know, they smoked pot and I figured that they were probably going to get you to smoke, but she had already done that. So it's too late. It was already, I was already down that road. He was already corrupting me in many, many ways. Um, but that's why she, she was like, I didn't want you to go there and, and, and be with a bunch of, cause it was like him and his friends. It wasn't, my sister wasn't going. And she just was like, I just don't, I don't, I didn't feel comfortable with that. They'd be partying and maybe dry, drinking and driving and all of that kind of stuff. I'm still mad about it though. So as you can hear, Melissa grew up in a household where her sisters were not metalheads. I asked her if it was the same in school. It was very similar in school. And the thing was, is I went to an all girls Catholic school. I had no friends. I, I hadn't, I, and this is the other thing that really got me into music and into books was because I didn't, at that time, I didn't really have any friends because I didn't have anything in common with anybody. Like there was girls in the neighborhood, but they wanted to play with Barbies. And I had some Barbies, but I, I don't want to go down that road. But um, uh, I, uh, that wasn't really my, I used to reenact like uh, Doctor Who and, and Star Trek episodes with my Barbies. You know, I was, I was a weird kid really weird kid and i used to have the plane the um the barbie airplane and i pretended that, that it was like the the tardis you know <laughs> i was just I was out there right and so I, I had one little friend across that lived across the street from me his name was um john cabellan and and he was also kind of a, a little bit of a strange kid also he was a big uh led zeppelin beatles fan and so we and he was a bookworm and so you know he also liked doctor who and so we you know, we hung out together, but he was basically all I had. So my, my brother-in-law was kind of like my only friend and they, they didn't live super close to us. We lived about, uh, about an hour and a half away from them. So I didn't see him like on a regular, you know, everyday basis. And it wasn't like nowadays where you can text and call and Facebook and all of that kind of stuff, you know, but the interesting thing about with my whole, with my mom, with the whole disco thing is here in Boston, there's a radio station. It's called Kiss 108. And it's the top 40 station, right? Um, and, but when Kiss 108 started in the late 70s, it was the disco station. And it was all disco, 24-7. And I mean like the 13, 14-minute versions of Staying Alive and just like, just crazy shit. And my mother would listen to it in the car. Oh my God, I used to get, I used to lose my mind, lose my mind in that car. So it was, I was surrounded by it. So when I was in my room, my room was my haven to listen to what I wanted to listen to and to draw and to read and to just sort of be my own sort of own little weirdo. I, I made a, a friend in, when I was 14 that was a pivotal in my life in general and definitely in my, uh, my whole love of hard rock and heavy metal. 
and the person that I saw, you know, everybody with and the person that I saw Black Sabbath with for the first time. Melissa got into Black Sabbath and heavy metal at quite a young age. And what's always intrigued me is how children get the money to buy these albums. People often talk about the first album they bought with their own money. So I asked Melissa, where did she get the money to buy albums at such a young age? Yeah, um, it's a little bit of um, Easter Bunny brings uh, something and Christmas, birthday, a um, little bit of this, that and everything. Um, some of them are tapes that um, of albums that my my brother-in-law made for me you know it's a little bit of everything because I'm getting everything around this time you know I'm getting deep purple and I'm getting some rainbow and I'm getting you know I'm getting a little bit of everything at this this is when I'm starting to get into the start I'm starting to get into the heavier the heavier stuff of course let's not forget about Philip Drummer who featured on the Ark Sabbath episode 0.5 Philip had a small bit of an identity crisis when I spoke to him is he the isolated man we heard in the intro music to this episode I mean, nobody knows who I am. Maybe, maybe Nesbitt, if he hears it, says, oh, that guy emailed me once or twice. Apart from that, I am a nobody. Oh, I'm just joking, Philip. So let's hear from Philip Trummer about growing up a heavy metal fan and what his parent dynamic was like and what it was like in general in his family to be a fan of heavy metal. Growing up, people thought, you know, I was weird. I was scary. I was, you know, I was wearing the heavy metal shirts. People thought I was a friggin' Satanist, just... Because most people who are not into metal, they look at it and they're like, what's going on here? You know, this is this is scary. This is weird. But there's a, a whole lot more to it. And there's always the thing, you know, with the parents, with the friends. You're like, what are you listening to? What is that? I'm okay with it. I, I can I can absorb this and, and, and this is not scary or controversial to me. Well, I was lucky in that regard. You know, I, you know, my mom was, was both, all of my, both my parents were, were music fans and they listened to their own stuff. And uh, I, I got a lot of, of my music uh, interest from them. So they didn't ever question me. It's like, what are you listening to? That sounds satanic. There was no, uh, you know, re- oppressive religious concerns in my household. So that didn't play into it. But you know how it is. You, you, when you were a teenager, you were listening to music, you were listening to, let's say you listen to an album, your parents will walk into the room at exactly that single moment when there's a controversial lyric coming on and they're looking at you and you're looking at them like, ah, sorry, man, it's just, it's just a song. Joe Sigler of black-sabbath.com talks about what it was like to get into the Aussie era of Black Sabbath after initially getting into the band through the Dio era. By the end of the week, I ended up wanting to buy another one. So I went again randomly to the store and bought again randomly, paranoid. I had no idea about it. And I put it on. I'm like, okay, this sounds cool. Sounds a little different. Wait a minute. That's not Ronnie James Dio. Who the hell is this guy? And at that time, I didn't know they had another singer than Dio. That that was the only, because back then you didn't have the web where you can go instantly call up their discography and find out everything. You, you mean, if you want to look up stuff like that, you have to go to the library, the actual library. And it's not something that you do unless you really, really wanted to do it. So 
the fact they had a different singer was a surprise to me. By the end of the week, I had bought everything else. Joe also goes on to talk about the various different formats of music that he had back in the day. And I left this piece in because he talks about long boxes, which I think is interesting. You don't hear much talk about those anymore. Um, at that point, it was kind of a mix. Um, I did have some vinyl. It was mostly cassettes, though, because this was also when I first got my Walkman. So, you know, you got your Walkman in your big boom box that you would put on your shoulder walking down the street kind of thing. Um, uh, it was a it was a mix. I had both because the Born Again album, I absolutely remember buying on vinyl. Mob Rules, I bought on a cassette tape. Why cassette versus vinyl? I can't tell you now, 40 years later. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was... And I still have that cassette tape all these years later. And it's it's been cracked. I had to do surgery and move the cassette tape into another shell. I sacrificed some random Radio Shack shell to keep the cassette. I still, so, yeah, I mean, back then, you, you, I mean, God, and then you, no, I'm going to get sidetracked. You'll, you'll find out talking to me that I can sidetrack myself real easy. Well, no, I was going to start talking about CDs and, and long boxes and stuff and that isn't around anymore. But a couple of the albums on my site's discography have some pictures of that. I know the Dio, I have a picture of the Dio album, Lock Up the Wolves in a Long Box. I used to I used to get them all the time. And back then, you didn't think anything of it. So you just threw the shit out. And it's like, damn it. I wish I still had that stuff. I spoke to Rye from Sabbath Bloody Podcast about how he got into the Aussie era of Black Sabbath from playing cover versions in bands he played in in his youth. But yeah, I more or less like, you know, when I got into, when I was younger playing bass and stuff like that, um, you learn all, of course, every jam band you're in, you're going to, you're going to bust out War Pigs or uh, NIB and stuff like that as a bassist. Uh, I was all about that. Um, so they've always been in in there. And then I kind of, just the vibes of them, I got into the Metallica, Iron Maiden stuff and uh, rolled through all that. And then kind of came back to the more bluesy kind of stoner stuff. Uh, so the, the Aussie stuff has always spoke to me in that sense. I spoke to Rye about the album Master of Reality, and here's what he had to say. I guess my like my real wheelhouse as far as like tone tonality and stuff I do like the master of reality to uh sabotage oh it's the it's the low and slow baby like uh just the way they tune down and the atmosphere that's pulled out of it I mean there's there's definitely one there's tons of atmosphere in the first album uh but there's also a lot of it does sound like a band that's a live band at that point uh, the, like there's a couple of things. I don't like the covers. I don't like covers on albums. I, I don't mind covers separate from, I like tribute albums and stuff like that. I think that's a cool concept, but when they kind of dip them in there, I can't help but think it's a bit of filler or a bit of like live carryover, which that definitely is. You listen to like um, warning and the way that he kind of goes off on that little solo that doesn't work for me on repeat listens. Um, I feel like around master reality, they edited a bit more. Uh, they were very, careful as far as the sequencing. I think Paranoid is well sequenced, but kind of just by uh, by luck, it seems. Like, I think it's just, it's just a, yeah, it's just the songs they had at that point. I mean, I love the way that the side two kicks in on Paranoid. It's fucking phenomenal. And almost, uh, I mean, you can't say Paranoid's underrated, but the, the, um, the influence of songs like uh, Electric Funeral and stuff like that, just, 
it basically created doom, right? Uh, Lord of this world has always been my jam. I do love the feel of that. And actually that one through a cover at the COC cover on the nativity in black uh, tribute album really locked that in for me because COC is kind of one of my favorite bands. Even when I, you know, when I started reconnecting with metal on my own terms, as opposed to through my parents or my dad. Um, yeah, Lord of This World is fantastic. I love Into the Void. That riff is just undeniable. Um, and just the switches in that one are very flowy. I find, I know a lot of people, I get a lot of slack for uh, how, what my thoughts on kind of sabotage. I feel like it's a little messy because um, a lot of people are just obsessed with that album, especially guys that lean more towards metal because yes, I mean, Symptom of the Universe, undeniable, right? But what I like about Master is it kind of, it flows in and out of itself, even within the parts, there's some big changes, but the transitions are really cool. And as far as studio albums, when I'm re-listening, there's gotta be that element in there. I find Sabotage is a little cut and paste at points. <laughs> Uncle Steve, of course, from Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone had to be a little bit different. So he got into Black Sabbath through the Ozzy Osbourne live solo album speak of the devil this was an aussie album i think released in 82 where he covered exclusively black sabbath songs on his own solo live album um, so steve talks about how that introduced him to the aussie era of black sabbath um okay so the next thing speak of the devil i move my way back i find speak of the devil at some point you know brad gillis playing the black sabbath songs on the aussie live album and that was the first place i heard gosh um you know symptom of the, of the universe the wizard sweet leaf all that stuff i might have heard sweet leaf by uh did anyone cover that no anthrax covered sabbath bloody sabbath so that's where i heard that the first time at some point you know i start, you, you know you're going through the you're going through being a getting into metal and getting in all these different bands and and being an 80s person everything was you know heavy fast well produced so then you start going back and you're going, oh, I need to start listening to some of these old Sabbath albums. And you start, like, you go back. I'm like, oh, well, I think I might have heard Paranoid first. And you go back and listen to the sound quality of Paranoid. And then you fast forward and listen to Randy Rhodes play it again. And you're like, this this is just not up to snuff, you know? And and Randy Rhodes' guitar playing, I mean, he's a good... Here, let me say this before I before I say anything rude about Tony Iommi. I don't have anything rude to say about him, um, but he's obviously, you know, he's considered the riff master. You know, you you talk about these great riff writers. He is he is like the cream of the crop, you know. Now, during one of my teaser episodes, I included a small clip of Uncle Steve talking about how he prefers. Uh, well, <laughs> he prefers it to an extent Randy Rhodes over Tony Iommi, but I'll let him explain what he means by that. I prefer listening to Randy Rhodes, but I think that, well, also the fact that his product that he ever put out, if you go listen to, and I've, I've only listened to the old Quiet Riot stuff, very, very little, but he was totally coming into his own when he got did the two albums with Ozzy because the song, you know, the, the riffs and everything. So his, his sample of music is so little that it's hard to say. I, 
I wouldn't say he's a, you know, he's definitely, he wasn't a better riff rider, but who knows what Randy would have been if he would have stayed around. So here, here, I'll, let me, let me get myself in trouble. I'll say it like this. I would rather listen to Randy Rhodes play Black Sabbath riffs than Tony Iommi play them. I would, <laughs> I, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you this, I, I would love to have had that Speak of the Devil album with Randy on guitar because, I mean, you've obviously heard Tribute, right? You've heard him play Children of the Grave. I mean, just the way, like, you, like, you know, he plays those riffs, like, he's like, duh, duh, nah. And then he comes in that with that, just that, why not? He's just a squealing guitar and all that. Just he, he's just doing all these little things in the middle of everything. And of course, and it was played a lot faster on tribute than it was when you listen to it on, well, it's still pretty decent speed on sabotage. So here are uncle Steve's thoughts on the eponymous debut album from black Sabbath. Uh, I'm not going to say the name of it because that's redundant, but the problem with, with, with Tony's riff writing is the way some of it was produced, you know, the seventies production and don't get me wrong. I've, I've been listening to the first, uh, what eight albums that they put out in the seventies all, you know, for the last three or four days, but I'm sitting here listening to them just going on, on, on some of these albums. I'm like, Holy crap, this is incredible stuff. Just incredible. I, I and I've been in my mind <laughs> putting, uh, ranking the albums in order, something I can't do with Iron Maiden. I just barely, but, but, uh, <laughs> It's hard to say uh, that I, where I want to put the the first album, because I it's got the title track, the what do they call it ep, ep, eponymous is that what they call it, the title named after the band, the wizard N I B. Oh gosh, that song "Warning." That's the one. Ooh, yeah. Okay, I'm not gonna have a problem doing this. Then forget that. Screw that album. Well, that's a little teaser for Uncle Steve's top eight countdown of the first eight original Black Sabbath albums. I'm not going to share that with you on this episode. I think you've got to be a little bit of a hint about where some albums are going to rank. But I will share it with you on a future episode. But that was Uncle Steve kind of giving away his top eight rankings. You know, Steve likes to rank things. And who was I to stop him from doing so? All right, so there we have it. It's part one of the arc, the official first part of Arc Sabbath, my Black Sabbath arc here on Feckin' Metal. If you'd like to join in the conversation, please contact me on Twitter. It's at Feckin' Metal Cast. You can email me at feckin'metal at gmail.com. Uh, you can contact me on the Feckin' Check-In Podcast Network's Facebook page. That's at Feckin' Check-In on Facebook. And uh, please contact me with any thoughts or opinions you might have. Uh, if this is your first time listening to Feckin' Metal, it is part of a podcast network called the Feckin' Check-In Podcast Network, and that includes episodes of the Feckin' Check-In, which I do with my co-host Toomey, Feckin' Football, Open Us, and Two-Faced Fake Snakes. Although I think maybe some of those older podcasts have dropped off the feed. It only holds 100 episodes of anything at any time. Um, but there you are, yeah. So it's part of a podcast network. In case you're confused about what else is going on, um, in the feed there but if you're just interested in heavy metal you can just listen to feckin metal be my guest to do so so that's the first episode of the arc i will be back soon (laughs) i'm not going to tell you when because i'm only going to make a promise that i can't keep but i do promise it won't be four weeks how about that Uh, and i will be back with part two of the arc hopefully it might be a bit more coherent than this one um but yeah we got up to a bit master of reality some interesting stories there from the likes of Melissa. Some interesting opinions from Steve. Uh, we only heard a small bit from um, Joe Sigler. We'll be hearing a lot more from him. Um, but yeah, 
the players who didn't feature as heavily in this part of the arc will feature more heavily in the next one uh, and that's going to do it for this episode of feckin metal i have been your host fergal trainer thank you for joining me thank you to all of my guests of course and thank you for sticking with me through that period of uncertainty i'll see you on twitter at feckin metal cast and with that i will bid you good night <laughs>